0: Well, graduates, did you uh, ever think that this day would ever arrive? It's kind of been a whirlwind year, wouldn't you say? So I think it's fitting that we have a little breeze for commencement. I can't promise you it's not going to be cold out there, but I can almost promise you it's not going to rain. So I want to welcome everybody to our commencement exercises at Sterling College. As we celebrate class of 2016, on the lawn of Cooper Hall, the building behind me is where it all began in 1887. So this is the 124th graduating class of Sterling College. Today, class, as we celebrate the outstanding academic achievements of you, I am confident that each and every one of you have been well prepared. Faculty and staff, you have done well in developing the next group of servant leaders for this world. As it is with many of you, this day is somewhat bittersweet. Each one of you, class of 2016, have left... have had an indelible impact on this campus and you have earned a spot, rightly so, as members of our alumni community. So as you commence, as you leave this place and continue life, I sincerely hope and I pray that you will do so as men and women who have been taught well, men and women who can think critically. Men and women who, as we were reminded last night, can be a light that goes into a dark world. I sincerely hope and pray that you never stop learning, that you never cease in your hunger for knowledge, and that you always seek to apply this knowledge within the context of a Christian worldview that is based upon a high view of God and a high view of his word. To do so, class, you must continue to be a student of that very word. You must read it. You must study it. You must memorize it. You must meditate on it. You must apply it, and you must share it with others. Let this, young men and young ladies, create in you a discernible difference that affects all you do, all you think, and all you say. Graduates, I, uh, I'm so proud of you. Nice work. Well done. We're going to miss you. As we begin our time, now that you're all settled in, I'm going to ask you to stand. For our invocation this morning, I would like to invite Mr. David Landis to the podium. David is, was part of the class of 1988. So he's a graduate of Sterling College. He has been in that chair. He has gone through the rigors that you have gone through. He was taught so well that we had to hire him as our vice president for administration and institutional initiatives. Today, he's serving double duty. He's staff member. He's a part of our executive leadership team. And he's dad to Josh Landis, class of 2016. So David, please come.
1: Would you please stand for the invocation, and gentlemen, please remove your hats. Please join me in prayer. Our dear and gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning dedicating this time, dedicating this place, and dedicating these students to this commencement time, which is more than a commencement, it's a commission of these young men and women and the accomplishment that they have achieved. But God, we know that this achievement was not of themselves. It was, they stand on the shoulders in many ways of their godly parents and grandparents and those who have encouraged them, their faculty and staff here at Sterling College. God, we have, they have achieved this time in their lives strictly because you have brought them to this place and so we give you thanks for each young man and young woman represented here their families we ask your special blessing on them and lord i pray a blessing over these graduates that they would as your word says as king david told us to delight in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart commit your way to him trust in him and he will do this he will make your righteousness shine like the dawn that the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. So God bless this time. We invite you to be present with us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.
2: See if my notes don't fly away in the wind. OK. Good morning. I'm honored to represent this year's senior class. I can promise you that you picked a good speaker, because my knees are already applauding for me. It's been an absolute joy for the, for, um, to be a part of the graduating class of 2016. I can still remember orientation and the being forced to meet so many new faces. Who knew that these faces that we met would be the people that we now call best friend? There have been many trials in these last four years, as well as many immense blessings. First of all, we have witnessed the transformation of many people physically. People quickly realized that it was no longer high school, and the cafeteria wasn't all you could eat every single day, but I may just be talking about myself. Some people went hard in the weight room because they heard the ladies like the muscles. Um, Or you're the person you got ring by spring, and now you've given dieting a second chance to prepare for the wedding day. But with physical change, we have also seen an immense transformation in the inward maturity of many students in our class. God has purposely worked in our souls of many, and the people that got got here on campus, some of them said, Wait, this is a Christian school, or some came for the sole purpose of Christian education. God worked in the hearts of each. We can definitely give the school credit for the physical change. well, and maybe the Wellness Center and Taco Bell and Hutch. But the renovation of the heart has been purely from Jesus Christ. Sterling College, although, has been the spark to the flame of many people's passions and the passion they most importantly have for Christ. From the inspiration of an art student, to the commitment of an athlete, to the, the desire and the longing for Christ, Sterling College has provided us with opportunities to understand life and find that one thing that makes our heart beat. I plead with you to remember this one thing as you graduate. Take a risk. It's not a phrase we hear very often. Each and every one of us has a specific time in our career at Sterling College as a student that has shaped our overall perspective in life. For me, the most recent event I will always remember is when Brian Ivey, the director of the Dropbox, came and shared his testimony for convocation. This man was extremely young for the amount of success that he had and I was immediately taken back by his confidence. Every word he spoke was real, passionate, and intentional, and he carried himself in absolute humility. Jesus Christ had been knocking on the door of his heart for years, until he finally opened that door, and since then is living a testimony of transformation. His testimony was a story of worldly success, year after year, but God opened his eyes to the understanding of his brokenness and he finally understood that he needed more than success. He needed Jesus Christ. Since his conversion, he has been living as if there is nothing to lose and is willing to take risks on the daily to share the gospel. I told myself, I want to be like this man. I tell you this to give testimony to the confidence that we can have in knowing Christ. Brian began taking risks as a believer for the sake of the gospel and was rejected time and time again. This is why we need Jesus so desperately. We must understand that there is a risk and sacrifice in every phase of life. Jesus doesn't say, take risks and I will bless you anywhere in scripture. But the Bible does tell us that he did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love. We can follow the example of Christ and others that imitated him. The Apostle Paul lived a life dedicated to risks. He knew that sharing Christ was a risk in every part of the country he was in. But he remains steadfast to God's calling. I'm not urging you to take risk and buy as many Powerball tickets as you possibly can, or take the risk and invest all your money and time into running for this upcoming election. I am urging you, though, to not live an apathetic, timid life, afraid to be rejected. I know firsthand that a life full of acceptance because of a fear of rejection leads to a life full of timidity and loneliness. Rejection causes us to evaluate where we find our value. Brian and Paul are both people that represent a life of risk and reward. Jesus, though, is the ultimate example of rejection. Despite his rejection, he knew God had a plan beyond the physical and emotional pain. This is why I challenge you to think about this. Am I willing to take a step out of my shell and maybe take a risk? Don't be the lover that is too nervous to tell the one they love. Don't be the passionate that is afraid to pursue the passion. And don't be the Christ follower that is afraid to fully surrender. Psalms 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. Fear the Lord. Don't fear rejection. But embrace the risk that comes with making a choice that may be outside of our control. Be passionate. Be courageous. Be bold. Be Christ followers and take a risk for the sake of Christ. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Josh. Before I introduce uh, Scott Carter, who is our Vice President uh, for Institutional Advancement, uh, he'll introduce our guest speaker in just a little bit. I want to take just a moment to recognize a, an individual that's been involved with our college for quite some time. Uh, this gentleman has been teaching for us for 34 years. He serves currently, and he didn't have any idea that we were going to be doing this, as our chairman of the board. He's the best chairman of the board there ever has been anywhere. I can say that because he's my boss. (laughs) 34 years of teaching business law at 750 on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, over those years, starting in 1982, our records tell us, he has impacted 825 different individual students. And so, before Scott comes to the podium, I just want us to take a moment, as Randy stands to thank him for his years of dedication and years of service and for the 825 students that he has impacted. Randy, thank you so much.
3: Good morning, Sterling College. Good morning, Sterling College family. It is my privilege this beautiful morning to introduce you to our 2016 commencement speaker, Kimberly Quo. Ms. Quo graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Stanford University, and then studied comparative government as a Rotary Scholar at the London School of Economics. She is a native of Sterling, Kansas, and she is the granddaughter of Sterling College fourth president, Dr. William McCreary. Ms. Quo is currently the Senior Vice President for Public Affairs at Coca-Cola Consolidated in Charlotte, North Carolina. The career and leadership path that God has led her on over these past 22 years has distinguished Kim at the highest levels of marketing and communications, politics and government, the corporate world, and technology startups. Ms. Kuo was a top press aide for Senate Majority Leader and then Presidential Candidate Bob Dole and Vice Presidential Candidate Jack Kemp. She was also the primary spokesperson for Internet giant America Online before she took on investor relations and marketing responsibilities at multiple innovative technology startups. Kimberly was the communication lead for the Communications and Technology Industry Association in Washington, D.C., followed by serving as executive vice president of marketing for the world's largest book and entertainment distributor, Baker and Taylor. Kim is an accomplished musician and songwriter. She writes nonfiction editorials, poetry and children's fiction, and was recently featured in Christianity Today. Her greatest joy is adventuring with her two children, Olivia and Aiden, who are with us this morning, alongside Kim's parents. 2016 (laughs) graduates, I do not remember who provided the commencement dress 28 years ago today at Smyzer Stadium, but I do believe that 28 years from now, you will remember who spoke at your graduation and provided the address and the message that she shared with you. So 2016 graduates, parents, faculty, staff, alumni, community, and our friends, please join me in welcoming Kimberly Quo.
4: Good morning. Well, I remember my speaker. It was Senator Dianne Feinstein. I don't remember anything she said, thankfully. Um, but first of all, let me say thank you all for giving me the great honor of speaking in a place I love so much to a group of such accomplished people. Congratulations, I'm very honored and I congratulate you all on the hard work um, and incredible accomplishment that we're celebrating today, so congratulations. As Scott mentioned, I grew up in Sterling. My grandfather William McCreary was president of this college for 27 years. Most of my family attended Sterling College uh, and many of my friends, and they all loved it. And I firmly believe that you will never find as good of friends and mentors and people that are sitting around you today in this place. And in the words of the great Johnny Cash, I've been everywhere, which is not totally true, but I've been in a lot of cities around the world. And you are sitting among the best, among the truest most faithful, loyal, wonderful people that you will meet in your life. I, however, took a little bit different path. (laughs) I really wanted adventure when I was sitting where you are sitting, so I went to college in California. I lived in France for a while and studied in London, Then I lived in Washington, D.C. for about 15 years, worked on Capitol Hill in a presidential campaign, as Scott mentioned. My husband worked in the White House for three years. And honestly, that whole adventure was very unscripted. Uh, I learned early on to walk through the door that God had put right in front of me because God was writing my story. And that is the less traveled path I would urge you to think about today. So first, if you have a five-year plan or 10-year plan or 20-year plan going forward, throw it out. And maybe you've had one that brought you here, or maybe it's already been destroyed along the way, and I would say that that is a good thing. Because in my experience, a five-year plan for your life can break your heart, and it can destroy your faith. So I'll give you an example. As a senior in high school, I wanted to go to Stanford University. I got waitlisted. I wanted to get married, or at least engaged, like most of my friends, by the time I graduated college. That took another seven years of waiting, I wanted to be a TV news anchor, and that never happened at all. I wanted to grow old with my husband David and raise our children and watch our grandchildren grow. Three years after I got married, my husband David was diagnosed with brain cancer. And we fought that disease for 10 years together. And three years ago, David died. So there were times that I did not believe God's plans for me were very good. (laughs) But I always knew that God was God. And in Isaiah 55.8, it says, My thoughts are greater than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways, declares the Lord. And in John 10.10, Jesus promises us, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I honestly wish I believed in the prosperity gospel. The problem is it's just not true. God doesn't ultimately care whether you're rich or famous, or even successful in a job. He wants you to follow him wherever he leads you. So even if you don't understand God's five-year, or 10-year, or 20-year plan for your life, you can know that he's working things out for your good and his glory. So if you want to be a doctor, go to medical school. If you want to be a lawyer, go to law school. But don't confuse your career plans with your purpose. God has a purpose written in you that does not depend on any specific job or city that you're living in or amount of money that you're earning. You may want to go straight to grad school and become a professor. I believe that God may take that same talent and desire and draw you into teaching English to destitute children in Latin America if you will let him. And you will never be happier than you are when you are squarely where God wants you. In his book, The Purpose-Driven Life, which you should all read if you haven't, Rick Warren says, you cannot fulfill God's purposes for your life while focusing on your own plans. But, and this is me now, not Rick, you can trust God to give you dreams that are bigger than the dreams you can dream for yourself. I'd urge you to all read another book called Kisses from Katie, if you haven't already, about a girl from an affluent family in Nashville she went on a short-term mission and soon after, in her senior year in high school. Soon afterwards, she gave up her boyfriend and her cute car and her career plans, and she moved to Uganda and adopted 13 orphan girls. She's there today raising them. She realized very dramatically that her purpose was not in her own five-year plan. One of my favorite examples of this is Eric Little, a world-famous Olympic sprinter from Scotland, so very fitting for Surin College. He was the subject of the movie, Chariots of Fire. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Notice, he does not confuse his purpose with his greatest gift, world-class running. He did win the Olympic medal, by the way, but his purpose was to honor God. So he later became a missionary in China. Remember... Your true purpose, like his, was not in a specific race or a talent or even the joy he felt using that talent. So you may be the star athlete. You may be a cheerleader or the star of the stage here. But that is not your identity. It's a beautiful facet of who you are, so take it with you when you go. But don't feel lesser when it's gone. God will use you for his good in his ways. He has a greater purpose for you. Here's the opposite view. Eric Little's competitor, Harold Abrams, was not a Christian, and I'm guessing he had a 10-year plan for his life, because he said right before his Olympic race, and now in one hour's time, I will go out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? He was tortured by the thought that he'd worked his whole life to earn this specific achievement. And now, whether he won or lost, he had nothing else to live for. So don't let your life be measured by a plan outside of God's plan for you. And if you're willing to let God be your purpose, he will bring people into your life, help you through suffering, and lead you into great adventures that you could never imagine on your own. I never imagined I would go to White House Christmas parties or inaugural balls or give Michael Jackson a tour for the, through the West Wing of the White House. That was strange. I never imagined that I would walk the Great Wall of China, or meet Nelson Mandela, or work with the head of Coca-Cola, one of the greatest brands in the world. I never even imagined I'd have two kids. <laughs> that was not in my plan. But I'm glad for all of those things. I also never imagined that I would lose the love of my life to brain cancer at age 44. But that was God's story for me and my children, and he is still writing it. So as I mentioned, when I was sitting where you are, I wanted adventure, and I really didn't know what that meant. But I know that I would have never written my story the way God has. But I believe that we all have a heart for adventure, Helen Keller said, life is either a great adventure or nothing. So I agree with Joshua about taking risks. I've definitely found that to be true. Two weeks after I graduated from college, I was on a plane to France. Thanks to a Sterling College alum, I got an au pair position at a beach mission in Normandy, France. I traveled all over the World War II beaches, and then spent a couple months traveling all over the trains in Europe alone, which was stupid. I highly recommend taking a friend if that's your adventure. But if you want to travel, get a backpack and go. Get out of your comfort zone. Live in a big city or a remote village in Nepal. Whoop, hold on. There's the wind. But pray and ask God always how He would write your story. And I would say you have fabulous timing to go out and do something really creative and impactful. In fact, I believe there's never been a time for more thriving social entrepreneurship. By that I mean this. I have a friend who was so disturbed by the hopelessness she found in prisons among the inmates that she started a program to help felons become productive members of society by starting their own businesses when they got out of prison. Another friend of mine started a nonprofit to bribe cookpots to villages in Africa. These pots replaced just the old-fashioned fire, fires that people used inside their tents. And with one device, he reduced clear cutting of trees, thousands of hours the women spent walking all over trying to find wood for their fires, and the health problems the families suffered from breathing smoke all the time. There are a million great ideas like this to be hatched that can change the world. And whatever you do for a living, whatever path you decide to take, remember to live from your heart. It's a great quote that says, the longest journey you will ever take is the 18 inches between your head and your heart. Most people live from their heads. They plan out. They think. They strategize. But your best story will always come from your heart. It is really easier, which I did this for many years, to live Life ignoring the yearning inside you and the hardship around you. Living from your heart means walking out your faith in very practical ways. It means sharing your own story to help others. Getting out of your comfort zone. It means talking to homeless people. Volunteering at an animal shelter. Fostering children. If you do these things, your heart will be changed, and those experiences will shape you and impact others. Living from your heart also means investing in other people. I was not tremendously good at this until I got much older. When I was younger, I just worked really hard. I worked really hard at sports and at school and at music and theater. But what I found is it's the people that you really invest in and forge deep relationships with that will be there when you need help. And you will need help along the way. The only job I ever got from my actual resume or job posting was the first one. After that, every single job came from a personal reference. There is no way I could have advanced in my career without personal friends and mentors making those contacts and connections for me. And when David got sick, we had people flying us and driving us to hotels and rehab centers, babysitting, cooking, running errands, ho- taking care of us in every way. But only because we had invested a lot of time and effort living in community with other believers. So be that person. It is far easier to stretch your relationships a mile wide and an inch deep. Don't do it, those relationships are meaningless. On LinkedIn, it's a thrill to have 500 contacts because then they stop counting. You just get a little plus. But in life, the greatest wealth you will ever have is in deep, godly relationships. So when you don't understand why life is turning out the way it is or what to do next or where where God is in your suffering, those people will be there, and that is priceless. In order to really let God write his story, In your life, you need to make sure to take care and feed your mind and heart with good. Our culture is a strong current that will pull you away from God's purpose in your life. One of my favorite quotes is from D.A. Carson. It says, people do not drift toward holiness. People do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience, and scripture, and faith. So fill your mind and heart with what is good and true and right and don't be afraid to stand up for it. My pastor David Chadwick says everything you do will either feed the spirit of God within you or your sin nature so choose wisely. He's right. Every day we need to do things that stir our love for God. We're all driven by love. We do what we love. We spend time with people we love. So if you sit in front of video games all day long, you'll lose your desire for personal connections and reading books and nature. If you watch The Kardashians or Housewives of wherever, you will be image-obsessed and selfish and greedy and have unrealistic expectations of relationships. So let me paraphrase paraphrase Philippians 4.8. Friends, be aware every day to fill your mind with whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure and lovely. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. One of the greatest lessons David and I learned over 10 years of fighting brain cancer was that we had to saturate ourselves with God to survive. God does not want to be an accessory in your life, whether your career, your parenting, or anything else. He wants to be your whole story, page by page, every day. So saturate yourself with music, with books, with friends, with activities that draw you closer to him, or you will be swept away. And when the crisis comes into your life, whether it's divorce or infertility or failure or even death, you will know there is a higher purpose and it is for your good. Having lived in Washington, D.C. for so many years, I have to say a couple things about the intersection of faith and politics and culture. First, the gospel does not fit neatly into any political party. We are first and foremost followers of Christ. We are in the same family. You are not a Republican or a Democrat first. Pastor John MacArthur says, The moment you put your politics above your faith, you have created an us and them that prohibits you from sharing the gospel with whomever you don't identify with. Jesus needs to be the one thing you live for and evangelize and care the most about. No one was ever brought to a saving faith in Christ by arguing politics. Second, you are literally entering a world that is upside down where good is called evil and evil good. A recent poll showed that most Americans think religion has done more harm in society than good. Think about that. All the hospitals, all of the Boy Scouts, the Red Cross, homeless shelters, food banks, almost all started with Christian roots to honor God. And the culture thinks that the bad of religion outweighs the good. So when it comes to culture and politics, people sadly think Christians are largely haters and bigots. So boldly live out God's story for your life. Boldly living out God's story for your life right now in this culture is harder than ever. But there is no better place to discover and shape and strengthen who you are than a place like Sterling, Kansas and Sterling College. God has written a unique story to get you here. And rest assured, he will take you to greater adventures still. Now is the time, as John Eldred said, to let people feel the weight of who you are and let them deal with it. So when you leave this beautiful sanctuary of Sterling College, I would challenge you to live a radical life. Read David Platt's book called Radical and Francis Chan's book called Crazy Love. Use your life to build God's kingdom and shift the culture for good. Maybe you want to help the 37 million people who are enslaved in the world today or the 34 million orphans in Africa. Maybe you want to help save hundreds of animals who are facing extinction or minister to over 2 million people in this country who are incarcerated. There's no shortage of need in this world. But the world needs people who are dangerous for good, as John Eldridge calls it. The most radical person in history was Jesus Christ. And if you love radically, forgive radically, serve radically, you will live out a great story. That's what God really wants for us all, to glorify him and to be transformed to the image of Christ. So I'll leave you with one of my favorite quotes by one of my favorite people of all time. Mother Teresa. She says, Life is an opportunity, benefit from it. Life is beauty, admire it. Life is a dream, realize it. Life is a challenge, meet it. Life is a duty, complete it. Life is a game, play it. Life is a promise, fulfill it. Life is sorrow, overcome it. Life is a song, sing it. Life is a struggle, accept it. Life is a tragedy, confront it. Life is an adventure, dare it. Life is precious, do not destroy it. Life is life, fight for it. Good luck to you all. Blessings.
5: Many studies have been done that are focus on the success of college graduates, as many of you know, and and those graduates within those studies are done from a wide array of colleges and universities. A common thread that we find among that research is the success of those graduates was identified back to one key thing, and that key area was at least one professor that played an integral role in igniting the passion of those graduates. They got them excited about learning. They cared for them as a person and was a true mentor in more ways than one. The study further revealed that when the faculty play such a role in the lives of our students and the experiences of those students, the odds of those students succeeding in life, becoming engaged and thriving in the communities, more than double compared to students who don't have such a mentor. At Sterling College, we're very proud of our faculty. Their academic and professional credentials, of course, but also because I can honestly say that they invest in the lives of their students. This was very evident for those of you that attended baccalaureate last evening. And this is evident in several of our campus climate surveys as well as a recent survey administrated by the Higher Learning Commission. Paralleling the appreciation and the recognition we have for such faculty, I'd like to take this moment to recognize one outstanding faculty member. The William M. McCreary Teaching Award is named after Sterling College's beloved fourth president, the grandfather of our speaker today, and is awarded to recognize and encourage creative and innovative classroom teaching. The winner of this year's McCurry Teaching Award goes to a faculty member who I can best describe through the comments of their students. And those students have used the following terms and words on their course evaluations paired back to this instructor. A fantastic professor, extremely engaging, thoughtful, and this professor and the course made me want to minor in this field. This year's winner is even better described by the faculty that they teach alongside at Sterling College as having a strong ability to lead, which has been exemplary. Pushes students in their craft. Exhibits the most innovative abilities as a teacher that involve the capacity to bring the real world into the classroom. And combines theory with practice in a way where students will be able to support themselves using their God-given gifts. This faculty member articulates clearly and persuasively what it takes for talent and effort to translate into sustainable work. Additionally, this faculty member is, and I quote, constantly seeking to improve the courses that he or she teaches. In a conversation with one of this faculty member's peers, our award winner wrote simply, I aim to design my classes in such a way that I am envious of the content and the work the students are partaking in. Our award winner is recognized by their peers as having the unique ability to push their students to new heights of nuanced recognition. Above all, this faculty member has been recognized many times of modeling Christ-like servant heart, which focuses on all the right things in a true liberal arts experience. He does not tout his own accomplishments although they are many, and he often generously gives of himself as a follower of Jesus. I'm very proud to recognize the recipient of the 2016 William H. McCreary Teaching Award as Assistant Professor of Art and the Department Chair of Art and Design, Professor Daniel Schwartz. Daniel, please join me on stage.
6: Graduate Awards are presented in conjunction with the Professor Fran Jabara Leadership Award to two students who exemplify outstanding academic achievement, leadership skills and involvement, and who portray an enthusiastically Christian faith. In other words, students who reflect and portray the ideal Sterling College student. The recipients must have a cumulative GPA of a 3.4 or higher and are voted upon by faculty and staff. Rachel Wanamaker, education faculty member, said these words about the outstanding female graduate. When I think of this student, there are many wonderful qualities that come to mind. The one that stands out the most is her dedication. Her ability to be dedicated in every aspect of her life is something others marvel at. Of course, she is dedicated to her academics, team, family, and peers, but she always goes a step further and is truly dedicated in her love of the Lord and to the plan that he has set for her. She uses her life as an example while mentoring and encouraging others along the way. I can't wait to see how God plans to use her gifts in the near future. Wherever she goes, it will be a better place because she is there. John Harding, volleyball coach says, the outstanding female graduate strives for excellence in everything she does. And this is evident on the court, in the classroom, in her relationships with others, and in her relationship with God. Her leadership, spirituality, academic and athletic ability have helped raise the standard for our team. The impact that, impact that she has on the volleyball program will continue for many years through her mentoring of teammates and the standard of excellence that she has set for herself. I am confident that she will make a positive difference for the kingdom of God through the lives of the children she teaches, the parents she works with, and anyone else who has the pleasure of working with her. It is my honor to present the Outstanding Female Graduate Award to Haley Ray. Okay, um, I just wanna say thank you to everyone. And yeah, I really just can't say thank you enough for, um, to my family and my professors and my friends and just everyone here. I am so blessed and just so grateful for this opportunity. and this experience to be at Sterling. So thank you so much, everyone. Pete Menealy said this about the outstanding male graduate. Every moment you are with him, you are blessed. He brightens the world with his infectious smile and his honored demeanor. He has made me stronger in Christ because of his outward approach to faith. John Earl, the Campbell RD, says this. His example as a student, friend, RA, follower of Christ, and overall servant leader has made me fall in love with Sterling College all over again. Always willing to pick up the slack of others without expressing recognition or reward is not only one of his most endearing character traits, but is genuinely who he is inside and out. He is the embodiment of what we want our students at Sterling College to look like. Dean Jaderston, the men's basketball coach, said this, Rarely do you see an individual infuse the people around him with energy and encouragement the way he does on a consistent basis. His work ethic is incredible, and his faith in Christ is clear and evident in everything he does. From playing basketball to being an athletic trainer, the dorms to leading in a chapel, or the classroom to the community, he embodies the concept of a servant leader, making others' lives better as a result of his presence, where others might shrink because of personal adversity, this man has chosen to be strong and courageous, leaving all of us at Sterling a little better because of his time here. It is my honor to present the outstanding standing male graduate award to Josh Hoover.
2: I guess I'll pull out my speech again. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for my family for coming out today, too. And um, uh, yeah, I want to say so. Thank you very much.